0: One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. The Time Lords are an immensely civilized race, uh... We can control our own environment. We, we
1: can live forever, barring accident, and we have the secret of space-time travel. But we hardly ever use our great powers. We, we can set simply to observe and gather knowledge.
0: Now, I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flows, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. We believe what our minds tell us, to, Tujan. The Earth is miles. I'm a Time Lord.
1: Oh, I know you're a Time Lord.
0: You don't understand the implications. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Now drop your weapons, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly baby. I am being diminished, whittled away piece by piece. A man is the sum of his memories, you know. A Time Lord even more so. all my travelings throughout the universe, I have battled against evil. ...against power-mad conspirators. I should have stayed here.
1: The oldest civilization. Decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the core. Power-mad conspirators, darlings, sotarans,
0: cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. If we fight... This planet, or just for ourselves. If we fight like animals, we'll die like animals! This looks pretty low tech. Low tech. Grace, Mm -hmm. this is a Type 40 target able to take you to any planet in the universe and to any date in that planet's existence. Temple physics. Oh.
1: Gonna email the upgrade. You want moves, Rose? I'll give you moves. Everybody lives, Rose.
0: Just this once! Everybody lives! The angels are coming for you, but listen. Your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast. Faster than you can believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. And don't blink. i the Doctor. Basically, run. Well, goodbye Doctor. Goodbye. Doctors, Brigadier. Splendid fellows. All of you.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to in Sci-Fi number 403. Uh, my name is Chris Clemente, Chris Allen, in Sci-Fi Forum, and with me is...
0: Ah, Hawkeye Meds on the forum, otherwise known as Simon Meddings, uh, no middle name. Uh, it was a boring one. Bit of bit embarrassing because my brother's called Stuart. The amount of letters he used to open. You
1: know. That's weird. No middle name. I got a friend like that. And yeah. um, the intro uh, I makes it obvious, but we're talking about Doctor Who. Sorry if it was a little long, but Hector's eleven Doctors, and I needed to get stuff from each of them. So there it is. <laughs> and uh, why we're talk- Why I decided to do this was. Um, been into Doctor Who pretty much for just about a year. <laughs> I uh, Last year, I had surgery. Right about this time of year, I had a surgery where I was going to be out of work for a month, which is the longest I've ever been out of work. And I wanted something to watch, and I realized that there's years of Doctor Who. And I went on the forum and said, what's up with this Doctor Who thing? And sure enough, uh, Medza sent me on my way.
0: Yeah, I sent you packing.
1: Yeah, exactly. With, <laughs> with, with homework and, and lots and lots of stuff to do, and I I devoured the whole um, reboot or whatever you want to call it redo from 2005 on.
0: Ooh. Um. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's stop right there for a minute, there, <laughs> Mr. Clementi. Uh, it's not a reboot. I, All right. I, 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 that's you can't say it's a reboot. Right. And the reason why I say that is uh, as as many people might be uh, hitting their heads against the screen, or the new who fans will be going, Butty tees uh is that obviously they mention all the other doctors in there.
1: Right. I didn't so. mean reboot, I meant um
0: You did you was insulting me straight from the start. Oh
1: <laughs> reimagining. No. No, no, um Doctor Who the next generation <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is. When they restarted it in 2005, they yeah. were all on Netflix. So I pretty much watched up until the sixth season in a mm. month, I think, or a little bit over a month. And then when the sixth season came out uh, and was all done, I got to watch that. And now I'm watching it as it comes on. And I just finished watching the uh, the town called Mercy one, which was really good.
0: So did you like that? was that was that a good one? Because I thought being just set in uh, you know America, it's uh... What, what did you think of that
1: one? I'm a Western fan. I love Western movies. Yeah. Um, I always love it when they mix up uh, Star Trek or Doctor, anything sci-fi with Westerns. Firefly, I loved it. I thought it was really. <clears throat> I like this season so far. It's it's there's. I know they say there's not a, a thread or there's supposedly not a thread. I'm sure there is, but mm. I like that they're they're kind of standalones. It's a good um, it's a good way to get other people into the show. I think when you when you have a show that kind of starts and has an ending. And it's not necessarily part of a, a mythology. And you can mm. say, hey, watch this Doctor Who show. It's a time travel show. And people might like it. And I liked it. I like this season so far. It's a little bit different, though.
0: Yeah. You, your man from Farscape was in uh, that last episode yeah, as well, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see him back. Well, briefly. Not giving any spoilers away, but uh, no, he was sad.
1: <laughs> no, it, it's good. It's a good, it's a good show. Um, I like... Um, It's different to me. Sci-fi has within sci-fi there's different genres. You got your hard sci-fi. You have your space opera, and I think um, Doctor Who to me kind of sometimes goes into that little a little Douglas Adamsy where it's Mm. it's like a little tongue in cheek. There's a there's some funny technology. I mean, you know, the TARDIS has like a coolant tank in it. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) stuff like that. I really get a kick out of it. Doesn't? I don't think. Even though there are very dramatic moments, I don't think that it ever takes itself so serious that it gets, uh, I don't know, like the prisoner, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's very, um, it's, it's fun. It's a fun show and, and the, my kids love it. My five-year-old son, his birthday is, is this coming week and he actually wanted a Tardis cake. His, <laughs> his, the things that he wants for his birthday, he wants a screwdriver and he wants a toy We are getting him all this stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's taken over my household. So I said, well, I, I want to know more about the older show, the the um, the original, the older episodes. All I really remember uh, from being a kid is the Tom Baker era. Mm-hmm. And uh, mostly I remember that because it was on PBS over here. And that's public broadcasting. And it was a channel that my grandmother, when she picked me up from school, would always put on because that's what Sesame Street was on and electric company and shows that are like that for kids. And Doctor Who was on and it always scared the crap out of me. (laughs) I mean, I remember particularly the one with the mummies. Um, And I remember just why it was so scary to me. I don't know what was scary about it. I mean, when I watch it now, I can see that that some of the storylines were kind of more gothic mm. um but i don't I don't know so that, so that was my main memory of it other than working in a video store and seeing doctor who videos but just not knowing much about it so now that they've redone it for the new not redone it i'm sorry now that it's been modernized somewhat mm. i think that it's uh, more palatable for people that's probably why it's become it's become such a big hit over here i think they've they had uh, the most viewers over
0: here than they've ever had Oh this season uh, season oh have a choice this series uh definitely i mean do you do you do you kids get scared as well by it? i mean you know, a five year old does he does he get scared by the Daleks or anything like that, or like this month you know this guy who was on his latest episode does he does he hide behind his hands or does he just relish it?
1: oh no, he runs away um when any when the, <laughs> when there's when there's any hint of danger Mm-hmm. He he heads for the hills. He's out
0: of and, and he loves that though. Yeah,
1: I think he oh he loves it. He loves he loves the TARDIS. He loves he actually liked the Daleks. I think he, he's yeah. a, he's a big fan of the Daleks. Him and his sister, they both. They, they, you know, they, like I said, they're at the same time scared of it and enjoy it. I think that's pretty much what all kids think of Doctor Who. Though. Well,
0: yeah. And, and you know what? That's the premise of Doctor Who. That's that's what it's all about. And and I think people sometimes <laughs> there, there's a lot of who fans out there. And I'll come I'll come more to this towards the end of the podcast. But there's a lot of who fans out there who slightly overanalyze things a little bit and forget that, in essence, the program, <clears throat> although enjoyed by adults, and, uh, you know, okay, I know time over here around about 20 past seven, so it is quite late. So it's probably aimed for the five to 10 year olds, you know, that's all up. It is aimed at kids to a certain degree. It still is aimed at those young, the younger viewer. I sometimes think who fans forget about that because they can be the most um, annoying fans. Uh, and I'm one of them, so I, I'm, I can say that. You know, I can, I can get on my high, high horse like I did only five minutes ago, you know. Um, but people do forget that the whole, the whole idea is when you see a monster come around a the corner or the doctor, you do put your, your fingers over your eyes or you hide behind this, the classic hide behind the sofa or run away. But you, you're still peeking out there because you're enjoying it. And I think, you know, my, my daughter adores uh, curly, hair, curly Hair Doctor, as he calls it, which is Tom Baker. And she quite likes Flat Hair Doctor, which is Matt Smith. Um, but she, she does get scared by it. I have to be careful because she's only three years old. She's I mean, great. you know... Yeah, you have to balance it, but I think you have to remember it is it is also for children and and you know, people moaned that they didn't understand the last last series. It was too complicated. You know what? I don't know many kids who turned around and said it was complicated. Oh, <laughs> I think that was I mean, the adults I, are overlooking at it, you know.
1: It's it's a show that's done in broad strokes a lot of times. Mm. Be, and, and like the doctor, he will spout like things very quickly that are fairly meaningless. You know, but it's just sort of to let you know. Hey, listen, he's figuring something out, and um, I don't think kids are following that, but they are following the action, and they're getting the general idea of the story. And uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a fun show for kids. It really it, it, and it's scary. It's got all those good elements. I think Stephen Moffat, he prefers the scary elements, I think, to uh, Doctor Who. I think since he wrote Blink, <laughs> which <laughs> I think uh, that's one episode I don't think my kids even stayed in the room for. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that one, my wife even, uh, that was one of the first things, first ones that she watched actually all the way through. She was pretty creeped out by it. And, and it's a really, that is, is a pretty good entry episode, I think, even though the Doctor's not in it a whole lot. But I think it really is a, a cool way to get into it because it's kind of uh, gives you all these, these cool concepts and it gives you some scares. And,
0: yeah, and you know, that was that was some a, a uh, just a, a very short story that was wrote in an annual uh, years before um, uh, Doctor Who came back on TV. My friend actually has, uh, in his. I won't say who he is because he's always said to me, don't tell anybody who, who he is, but he has a, a weeping angel in his back garden. Not a cardboard cutout, he actually has a fiberglass weeping, full-size weeping angel in the garden. He's looking through the conservatory. It's quite, it's quite, disturbing. and I didn't notice it. I just sat there eating, eating having a cup of coffee and, a, and and breakfast when I stayed home. I just turned back to see this, this angel looking at me. I was thinking, <laughs> we drank a few things last night. I don't remember stealing one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, one, that's something you really want to see out of the corner of your eye. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's, that's neat. But, um, yeah, it's not... I mean, even though I know they're getting big ratings, I don't have as many... I think it's not something like over here like Star Trek where sort of everybody watched. I have a, a TARDIS keychain that people don't understand. What is that thing on your key? What is that stupid thing? And I'm like, oh, forget
0: it. That's quite cool, though, isn't it? Because it's like you're, you're into something somebody else isn't. It's, it's quite nice to have that, you know.
1: Yeah, it is, it is cool. But I think it's certainly, like I said, it is more popular. It's certainly taken over uh, the role of being the sci-fi cult show right now mm. so yeah. that's 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 cool i mean it, and it's something that you can say when it, it's something that's been around for 50 years i guess and what next year it'll be 50 years
0: next I'm, year yeah longest winning sci-fi show
1: yeah it's beat star trek by a couple of years there so i mean that's <laughs> <laughs>
0: your face being modern but <laughs> well, you know what
1: do you, and and uh, it's had, I'm sure, as many ups and downs as Star Trek has. So. Oh,
0: incredibly so, yeah, definitely.
1: You know, and I mean, I can't say that I've actually seen all of the Doctors. I'm, I'm, they're not all on Netflix. And and to go, I, I would like to watch at least the best ones from all of them, um, mm. eventually. But what we're actually doing today is, I wanted to, since Meds is a lifetime Doctor Who fan, and I'm just a late 30s Doctor Who fan, um, <laughs> I wanted to go. I wanted to. And this is good for people who aren't who Doctor Who fans. Maybe they can kind of listen to this, catch on, and uh, watch a couple episodes. And I'm going to ask him some questions about, you know, sort of the history of the show and, and how he feels about it. And um, we'll go from there and see how it goes. So I'm going to go and start it off with the first question. What was the original concept for the Doctor Who show? The original show in the sixties.
0: Okay, well they, they wanted a science fiction program, um, but not overly science fiction. They wanted drama for children, uh, ideally aged around about fourteen. Uh, you know the whole the whole premise of this idea was to bring in history and science. It's what the BBC uh, was about. That's their that's their formative uh, um, Ideal for creating the, the the television station basically to inform and entertain um, So C.E. Weber and Sidney Newman uh, drew up a concept for Doctor Who and this was early uh, 1963 uh, Sidney Newman um, American I think could have been Canadian. I do apologize. I know that's a sore subject to mix those two uh, <laughs> two <laughs> countries up. But you're close, you know. Um, he was head of drama at the time and Weber was a, a writer. Um, and they, they did come up with the idea of having this uh, old man travel around in what was called a TARDIS. But it wasn't what we know as a at Atari. It was going to be some kind of transparent bubble, I think they said, but that would have been too one too complicated to do on a BBC budget, which is probably still the same now, actually. Uh, so they come up with the idea of having a machine that would change in every environment they had. And, of course, they would go to places in the past, places with historical importance, and then it was sort of like they'd make a programme about it and give you that kind of entertainment. Um, obviously, the... When it came to working out the budget, they realized they couldn't create a new prop for every episode, you know, because it was just going to cost too much money. And that's where the TARDIS came into having this beautiful police box. And I, I, I still get excited <clears throat> wherever I go. If I see a real police box, there's a police box, a, a real police box about 10 minutes away from where I live. Huh. Yeah, in a place called Avoncroft Museum it's a wonderful little it's like a place where they preserve old buildings it has a, a huge telephone exchange and telephone boxes and in the corner I think I put it on there's a photo is available and there is a full size police box and when you stand next to this full size police box you realise actually how <laughs> dimensionally wrong it is inducted because it's made of concrete it's only got one door that opens hmm. um, but it doesn't matter where I go uh, you know toys I've got a, about four or five Tardises and I still think it's, it was my thing that made me excited about the show. So they come with this idea of having the police box. Cause in 1963 at that time, police boxes were on, you know, near on every corner in England and, and Scotland, in Scotland, it was red actually, uh, and Wales. And it's, it was an iconic image. So you could get away with it. And then they come with the idea of the, the chameleon circuit to kind of, you know, <laughs> keep it that way. Um, I have to bring Anthony Coburn, wrote the first episode, which is called an unearthly child. Um, but I'm gonna just bring in something about this whole original concept because one of the important things about uh, I think Doctor Who is breaking boundaries and and also the music. And Ron Grainer composed the theme tune, but a woman called Delia Derbyshire realized it. And by that by what I mean by that is the fact that she took the composition, she did something totally new and original around that time. She <clears throat> took the, the actual tape, spliced it, reversed it, edited it. Uh, did the reverb on it so she actually played it against another speaker so you got the kind of strange music on it and it was her who created a lot of the well the the title theme uh and also some of the incidental music that you hear along with the bbc radiophonic workshop it is so important to realize who delia derbyshire is you can find her on youtube there's loads of her stuff on there it's a bit weird now when you go back and listen but if you think about what she was doing in 1963 and and this might sound slightly sexist, and it definitely will in a minute when I say about uh, Verity Lambert. But you know, she's a woman in 1963 in a very important position and doing amazing work. You know, Doctor Who's first producer was Verity Lambert. Again, this is 1963, so we have a lady in such an important role. You know, this is groundbreaking. It's another thing that I think showed how ahead of its time the BBC were, and Doctor Who certainly was. Now, some new Who fans. And maybe you do as well, Chris. Might recognise the name Verity and Sydney from the David Tennant episode "Human Nature and Family and Blood," where the doctor's in the guise of the teacher John Smith. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, and, he, and he's talking about his life, and he's saying, "Oh, my parents, Verity and Sydney," uh, and that was a little bit of a homage uh, to those two. Oh. Um, and 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 I think how true. So I mean, that's the, that's generally round about how Doctor Who came about, and it, it was purpose was to be historical. And educational with a little bit of science fiction phone in. And hence the reason why the, the two first companions, apart from um, Susan, were uh, Ian and Barbara. And, and they were a science teacher and a history teacher.
1: Ah, That's pretty cool. I mean, I think we've had shows like that over here that are intended to be sort of educational, but something that kids will... <laughs> sit in front
0: of at the same yeah, time. Yeah, like the time tunnel, I suppose. I mean, that was very a uh, similar thing where they go to a certain place and you know, and I guess Quantum Leap a little bit later on right. uh, in, in the late 80s. Would yeah, would have, I think I've always thought Quantum Leap not copied, but was a bit of a homage to time tunnel.
1: It's uh, that uh, the fact that a woman did all that. Um, and the, it, all you have to do is watch Mad Men to know what uh, the attitude <laughs> toward women was in the workplace in the 60s.
0: Oh, yeah. Verity Lambert's producer was a very, very powerful producer. I mean, she was uh, in charge of Blue Peter, which is a very iconic, another iconic um, British program over here for children. Um, And her CV uh, is just groundbreaking. But Delia Derbyshire is often forgotten because uh, everyone knows Doctor Who. You know, you hear the Doctor Who theme tune. Like Nowadays, it's composed by Moby Gold. But when you look at it, it's wrote by Ron Grainer. And it's never, it never mentions Delia Derbyshire. And even when Ron Grainer, Ron Grainer loved it, he loved what she'd done to it. And he even said, you know, did I write that? And Derbyshire, ever the modest lady, um, <laughs> turned around and just said, mm, some of it, you know, no. you know, she created that kind of that beautiful swirling mixing sound of the first Doctor's theme tune. And it's to movie with the double bass line that's like bounced against each other. it's brilliant i think rick moyer would you know look would look at the breakdown of that and be really impressed with it
1: yeah the that is actually more of just the the tune that that's the signature of it really is that sound so yeah well that's pretty interesting i love information like that
0: <laughs> I, really do. Well, the, I mean the bbc radiophonic workshop you can find out loads of information online and and know are no, no defunct so they got they got closed down in the i think around about the 80s but you know it's stuff like the sound of the tardis dematerializing you know that is created by a key a normal key being drawn up and down a piano wire But, and that's what it is but you know it, it's it's those beautiful things that if you're a bit of a you know geek like we are yeah you know i've got albums that are dedicated to these kinds of you know you, you wouldn't put them on at a party hey you know <laughs> who needs a time warp when you've got the sound of the tardis going up and down yeah you know, people end up looking at you thinking ah, oh, we better go <laughs> I
1: know. you know i, I wondered why I, I i didn't have a lot of friends but then i used to sit in my house and listen to my star trek sound effects record
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the bridge, the the at exactly. the, the, the bridge. You know, I've heard that it's on for about forty-five minutes. Yeah, you know, and every now and again, the door will open. <laughs>
1: uh, I had my own friends, and, <laughs> and they were on the bridge with me. <laughs> all right, well, let's get on to the second question. How did the um, the concept of regeneration come about? And also, a second part of that is, why does the doctor have a different personality when he regenerates?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the whole idea of this that came about was because the first doctor played by William Hartnell did become quite ill towards the end of his tenure. And uh, he was forgetting his lines and was getting a little bit grouchy. I mean, the reason people often mention that Hartnell became grouchy and was difficult to work with. He wasn't great. The reason why he was, a, you know, he wasn't great because he was being a, a moody ass uh, like Tom Baker did become. Um, <laughs> he was he was great because of the fact that he was a professional actor and was very proud of his role as a doctor. He loved being a doctor and not being able to remember the lines is incredibly frustrating, especially when actual job, you know. And sure. he he would get a little bit narky about it. But it did become obvious that he was he was not going to be able to carry on and do the show, but. The three years he was in it, he built the show up and created going from a, a rather miserable, sour doctor to quite a jovial old man, you know, somebody you'd want to be with. And doctor whose ratings had became extremely good. You know, I mean, it was it was well in its late millions, you know, and instead of just canceling it, they come up with the idea of, of just bringing in the new doctor. Now, they realize they couldn't have somebody come in and just say, oh, it's the first doctor and he's wearing a wig because Hana was too recognizable. So they then come with the idea of having him become severely injured and would regenerate, or as it was called then, rejuvenate. It wasn't called regenerate, it was ah. called rejuvenate. And this is what they did. They brought Patrick Tratton in, and this was in the final episode. I think it was called The Tenth Planet. Unfortunately, it no longer exists, like uh, quite a few episodes of Doctor Who. Uh, unfortunately, the BBC, in their wisdom in the, uh, in the 70s, took the videotape and wiped them. Um, and a few episodes do turn up. We had one turn up earlier this year, uh, to, uh, episodes, not many trying episodes go, uh-huh. but the, the last episode of, of, uh, of heart doors and also the beginning of Trouters don't exist. Uh-huh. So we left with kind of, uh, stills that were taken at the time production stills. We have the sound, um, because obviously that was on a different tape, It was on a, a, a master tape. So he changed and that's, that's how they got around it by replacing him. Sure. Um, now, your, your second question about that, about the, the personality, well, um, this is generally a, a side effect of the process. It's the complete physical transfer uh, transformation also is alteration of the brain chemistry. And uh, I look this bit up, the uh, synaptic organization. Now, I, I have to admit I look that bit up. I don't want you know, not that intelligent. <laughs> but, his, piece, his personal uh, all feelings never seem to change, and this is purely for the fact that it's a time lord thing. Easy to easy to say because it's science fiction. You know, whatever you create is true in science fiction. You don't have to uh, you don't have to give evidence towards it at all. So it's all to do with keeping his memories and keeping his memories and his intelligence, and that's why he remembers things. But his personality around him changes. Personality adopts towards his physical form. And if you look at all the doctors that have played them, look at how they are physically. That's their personality, you know. Tom Baker, it's all teeth and curls, and he's all kind sort of like in-your-face, eyes beaming kind of strangeness. You know, it's not as soon as he got older and he, and he got great in himself. He, he's Doctor turned to change. Peter Davison is the Fifth Doctor, young, energetic, running about. You know, right. um, and also now with Matt Smith. The great thing about Matt Smith, of course, is oh, he's young, but when you look in his face, he does look old. He does. He does look old, and 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 heaven, you know. Thankfully, he turned around and said, you know, I'm past 12,000 years old now. It's like, thank God he said that in the last episode, because that's been a big bugbear of mine, which I'll come to later on. But but what a great idea to come up with, bringing in a new doctor and regenerating him into a new, you know, a new person to carry on, you know.
1: So he almost has like a like a head injury. That's why he has a different personality.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in essence, it's exactly the same. Yeah, and there's always still the same kind of linear code of the Doctor all the way through his moral point of view uh, and all that. But he's you know he's his attitude towards certain things is, is obviously slightly different. But not when you watch all of Doctor Who, you, you know, you kind of see it's the same person all the way through.
1: And Matt Smith is getting like in the last episode, especially he his uh, Doctor is getting very cranky.
0: We could end this right now. We could save everyone right now. This is not how we roll, and you know it. What's happened to you, Doctor? When did killing someone become an option? Jex has to answer for his crimes. And what then? Are you going to hunt down everyone who's made a gun or a bullet or a bomb? But they keep coming back. Don't you see? Every time I negotiate, I try to understand. Well, not today, no. Today, I honour the victims first. His, the masters, the Daleks, all the people who died because of my mercy.
1: See, this is what happens when you travel alone for too long. Well, listen to me, Doctor. We can't be like him we have to be better than him
0: yeah i think he's very much a tired doctor i think we see it it's very much kind of like a little bit blast off of constantly being relied upon you know
1: and and the thing i really am kind of enjoying about this la- this last few episodes and and maybe some of the six series is that they they kind of show that the the companion the pawns as he calls them they <laughs> are not in his life he's not like concurrent with them like he doesn't yeah. hang out with them for the same two years, and then move on. He goes on with his life, comes back to them whenever he feels like it, and um, he's living his life apart from them. Mm. And he has a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in his life. So it's sort of like it does make it it makes you wonder like what is going on with the doctor? Like how does he not cross his own path? You mm. know what I mean? How do you not see, how does he not see like Tom Baker hanging out somewhere? You know what I mean? But I know he's not supposed to be able to do that. And I suppose the TARDIS probably has something to do with that. I
0: really don't know. But I it's, do. a tar, it's, it's a TARDIS thing. It's uh, the, the TARDIS. The TARDIS has a, an ability to to uh, make sure he doesn't meet itself. And when it does happen, um, like the, the TARDIS materializes around itself to get dimension, well, not itself, but another police box, mm-hmm. um, a lot of things can go wrong, especially when it was the master's TARDIS. But that's. You know, that's
1: <laughs> I right. like that little short they did with um, Peter Davison and uh, David Tennant. That was, oh, in Time Crash. That was fun.
0: Yeah, it's really good. Yeah.
1: And I like how they explain why uh, all of a sudden the young doctor is old and fat.
0: Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Uh. <coughs> well, you know what? What well, a brilliant idea because they've done that. This is a Moffat, Moffat written short as well. Right. You know, everyone knows with the 50th anniversary is coming up. And everyone, if you're a Doctor Who fan... I don't know anyone who isn't. It uh, <laughs> doesn't like this idea. Wants to have a multi-doctor episode. Absolutely. You know, we've had a few of them already. You know, we've had the, the, the three doctors, the five doctors, the two doctors. We've had the specials. You know, and everyone wants that.
1: Yeah, and you can do it with Tennant anyway, because there's a clone of him around. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I read an interview with Christopher Eccleston this year who said he absolutely won't do another one. So. well
0: you know what I've got this thing that the fact that if he was to turn around and say yeah I'd well, do it the only questions he would be asked from now until next year was so what's going on when are you doing it have you filmed it are you wearing your black you know it's best to say nope not doing it yeah.
1: and I, I, I actually really um, I enjoyed his Doctor I would have liked to see more of him I thought he was it was a kind of an interesting guy
0: oh yeah same here
1: I, I liked him a lot I mean I like David Tennant a lot and I like Matt Smith a lot but you know even my wife said boy I kind of wish uh, that Chris Eccleston would have stayed around longer
0: and I'm like, yeah. she's. I mean,
1: obviously, she thinks that David Tennant is dreamy, but.
0: Uh, and that's what's that's what's wrong with he's a uh, he's ten. <laughs> doctor. That's another thing.
1: <laughs> All right. So let's go on to our next question, and that is, we're, we're sort of where we are in this discussion is who is considered to be the most popular doctor?
0: Oh wow, it's a hundred dollar question, isn't it? Because it's it's like a. Uh, um, who's who's the best James Bond? You know, um, people are always going to go with either their first Bond or their first Doctor. Um, in, in a popular poll, I, I did I had a, did a bit of research on this, and I, in a recent poll done by the Telegraph, I'll just read this out here. Uh, John Pertwee uh, came at the top spot, followed by David Tennant. Um, ironically, strange um, yeah. because a lot of the time it's always been Tom Baker sure. uh, as the best Doctor because he was the longest reigning Doctor. Uh, the most iconic, the first one to be broadcast really in America. So hence the reason why, as you said, on PBS, so everyone got to see him. It, you can't really say. You can't no. really say because it's it's a bit insulting to turn around and say, well, come on, William Hartnell was the first doctor. It's like Sean Connery was the first Bond, well, first film Bond. Sure. Uh, we don't talk about Jimmy Bond, the crappy 50s TV series that um, <laughs> did in America. Um, I mean, look, my personal favourite uh, has always been Peter Davison. Uh, then followed by Matt Smith, ironically. No, because I, I am I can sit and watch Matt Smith's, uh, especially this series, and actually watch the episode again straight afterwards. And then when it's repeated on BBC uh, Three, I'll watch it again. Now, I never did that with Tenant. And so that says something for me. But it's it's hard. I mean, I, I still maintain that Tom Baker's in the top ramen of the, the of the, the most popular Doctor, uh, even now, because it's like, you know, I mean, you see all these polls when people say, what's, what's the most funniest film? or What's the most successful single? Well, if you did the What's the most successful single? and you're doing that poll at the same time that Michael Jackson died. Thriller's going to be number one. Yeah. If you do uh, what's the most popular, you know, comic book film, and you're doing that poll just as the Avengers came out, the Avengers is going to come out, and no one's going to remember Batman Begins, you know, <laughs> or, or the Hulk with Bill Bixby. People are going to forget these kind of stuff. Uh, I, I still maintain that really, uh, if you take every single age range of Doctor Who, from people who first watched it in '63. Up to, you know, New Who, I, I'm still going to aim for Tom Baker. He's not my personal favorite, but I, I still think he's he's probably the leader of the pack, I think.
1: I mean, before I ever watched the show, the only person I ever thought of was Tom Baker. So, yeah. you know, that's my, I think that he's probably, uh, before the new series, he's probably the face of Doctor Who. And then I think that uh, Tennant... Seems to be the new who fa- everybody's favorite. I think the ladies got into Doctor Who because of the if so you know, I'm certainly my wife
0: started paying more attention to it when she <laughs> Yeah, so suddenly so you had a brown suit and a long coat. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, uh, and I had
1: I and I tried to get my hair to be sticky uppy, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: And your like a beard came off of it. Yeah, I
1: haven't – well, yeah, I, I go back and forth with that, <laughs> depending on how – it gets very hot in Florida, and beard it's not always a beard-happy state.
0: No, not a beard-happy state. <laughs> Whatever. It not like the safe, is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I guess it's sort of – that's one of those like six-one-half-dozen of the other questions, really. In the end. Yeah,
0: I mean, everyone's got their personal favorite, and if David Tennant's your personal favorite, you're wrong.
1: Yep. <laughs> right now, I think that I like uh, Matt Smith. I think I like him a lot. I'm I'm really enjo- enjoying his portrayal. Um, mm. It's it's not. I like that he's not in, in a romantic relationship with a companion. I really enjoy that. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the RTD yeah, for you. Yeah.
1: Okay. So let's uh, let's talk about the origins of the Daleks. I mean, they seem to show up every year. And if you go look through the history of of Doctor Who, they seem to be the In the most popular episodes. So Mm -hmm. what's their origins? Story-wise
0: or uh, creatively-wise? Uh, let's let's start creatively-wise. How did they come up Okay. About- well, you know, the, the Daleks, you know, the, the pepper pots with a toilet plunger for a weapon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing that you think how scary they are. But really, when you look at it, it is just a stomach plunger and an egg whisk <laughs> um, with an eye. <laughs> uh, created by uh, writer Terry Nation and uh, designed. Now, this is the most important key. Everyone forgets it. Like, like we were saying about Delia Derbyshire, everyone forgets the person who designed the Dalek uh and this was raymond cusick um they appeared in the, the second episode of doctor who uh sometimes called the daleks or the dead planet it should be pointed out here when i say the second episode of doctor who it was actually the fifth episode because um the first episode of doctor, doctor who which called an unearthly child was in four parts so and those four parts was a part each week and so the second episode of Doctor Who which is called The Daleks was seven episodes long so already you've got like 11 episodes with only two stories but that's 11 weeks of Doctor Who so that was the difference in classic Who so. um, you see well originally the big idea of, of you know, they, of literally sort something to scare you, know, Sidney Newman had always turned around and said he didn't want any bug-eyed monsters hmm. in Doctor Who, you know, and when, I think it was Verity Lambert come up with the idea of, of saying that we need something that's going to scare people and and, I, and the idea of having this big bug-eyed thing coming at you he was absolutely he was angered he was so angry because he said, i don't want to get down his armor but when they showed him the design of q6 designs the fact that it was an alien who had evolved and got near enough blew out of its body and had to be put in a metallic shell to you know to control things there was a little bit more horror in it you know uh, and so that's how they came about now the reason why the BBC likes using uh, the Doctor's nemesis, shall we call them? It's purely because of licensing agreements; they have to pay the termination Estate um, to use them. And if you've paid to use them, you're going to use them, <laughs> and that's the only reason why um, you know you, you see them <laughs> quite a lot. There's, there's been two films uh, dedicated to the Daleks uh, with Peter Cushing as the Doctor, um, and of course Bernard Cribbins turns up in one of those uh, those films as a companion. Um, the trouble with those films are they are good films. I mean, they are enjoyable, but, and the TARDIS is in it, but it's not the TARDIS. It's a, it's a bill and he's not, you know, the doctor isn't from Gallifrey. He's from, you know, London or Surrey or something. He's a bit of a mad scientist. So you kind of get annoyed with it, but it's done by termination. So in essence, he's a, he's allowed to do what he wants to do with them. Um, so that's how they, that's how they came about. But if you're looking at story wise, then they come from a planet called Scarrow. And, um, which is the Dalek planet created by Davros. Um, well, they're into their shells as Davros, uh, and that's basically where they, they first come from. Uh, loads of different sizes. All you got to do is type in uh, Dalek timeline or Dalek, uh, differences of the Daleks, and you'll see all these different shapes and, and sizes and war Daleks and everything. Um, and they are they are all different sizes and different colours. The new Daleks, I think, are a bit rubbish, frankly. <laughs> the red, and red, yellow, and orange ones, I mean, yeah. they just look awful. Exterminate. Yeah, I do quite. I do quite like the Daleks. They're not my favourite Doctor Who um, villain, but, uh, but there you go.
1: Yeah, that's that. That one. That's actually one of the first older ones that I watched that you recommended was Genesis of the Daleks, which the Tom Baker episode. Yeah, which I thought was really, really. I think I probably watched that uh, after I watched the first series. I watched that one. I, I got it from Netflix. Yeah. Um, I liked it a lot. That that, that was a. Uh, Filmed in the 70s, it looks like it's filmed in the 70s, but the story is so good mm. that um, I was I thought it was I liked uh, Davros and I liked the origin of the Daleks. It was really really cool. Has a really cool um, sort of moral choice for the Doctor in it.
0: Do I have the right simply touch one wire against the other, and that's it? The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of people, thousands of generations, can live without fear in peace. I never even know the word Dalek. That'll lead on to one of your questions later on, that yeah. whole, whole mold alone with that. 1975 Genesis of Daleks was, yeah. was uh, broadcast.
1: That's really, and that's a really, I think, a good, a good uh, intro episode. Uh, if you wanting to look at an older Doctor Who episode, I think that's a really good one. Oh, absolutely. A really good bunch of them. It's like seven, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, that's the thing. That's what the, and I think that's what the trouble is with, uh, with modern who to a certain degree, where you know that's forty-five minutes long. Uh, I'm not too sure if you, are you getting adverts over there. You getting adverts putting them?
1: That, hmm. Yeah. The funny thing is, my wife and I were actually just mentioning that when we were watching the the, um, the one from yesterday. This morning we watched it, and the commercials are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Uh. I mean, they cut they cut the heck out of that show. I can tell because it's not like a normal cut. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a normal where you would go to commercial. It's like them walking out of a door and all of a sudden you're on to another commercial it's yeah. it's it's ridiculous and you can tell that it's probably about a 40 minute show right now maybe less so. oh,
0: yeah well it's 45 minutes over here and the trouble is sometimes i think because doctor who originally was 25 minutes uh 25 30 minutes and so in 25 minutes you, you know you can't get a lot in there so that's where you get four episodes in it but uh i I sometimes think that they they rush a little bit of the stories i think with modern who and it'd be good to have a couple of parters you know two parters in it but uh you know that's i suppose everyone wishes that
1: that's tv now yeah (laughs) so let's go on to a little bit of time travel has the the doctor (laughs) always used the tardis to travel in time
0: yeah in a nutshell yeah i mean it's his it's his you know it's his means of transport but also his home uh and sometimes the key the key links to him staying alive um you know it's been mentioned several times that the tardis helps him regenerate uh i think he's regenerated let's see uh one to two was in the tardis doctor two to three he was in the Tardis, but he had no choice to regenerate he was made to regenerate by the time laws uh four to five was he fell off a satellite dish Stupid boy. (laughs) Uh, But the TARDIS was nearby, and uh, that's when the uh, Davison regeneration didn't quite work because it wasn't close to the TARDIS. Five to six inside the TARDIS, six to seven inside the TARDIS, Um, seven to eight, we don't know. Oh, seven to eight, shot outside the TARDIS. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Eight to nine, we don't know, presumably in the TARDIS, which is the reason why the TARDIS looks like it's a war machine. And again, obviously 9 to 10 was in the TARDIS. So, <clears throat> yeah, the TARDIS is a, a key to him. Uh, he's used the art transport mat to, to, to travel around in. And obviously we saw in uh, the Matt Smith one where he had he made that makeshift TARDIS. Uh That's right. Revir- you know, Revirus. Which, which I, actually, if you look at the wall of that makeshift TARDIS, it's actually the old TARDIS from the classic TV series. Yeah. There's a nice little... There's some of the discs on there, the old-style discs, which is, you know... Any classic classic Who fans are going, oh, it's one of the circles. And you think Oh my god!
1: <laughs> now there was one I think I remember seeing where a Doctor and his three two companions were holding onto a ring. What what is that thing? Called? What is that? It was like they were spinning in on a. They were holding onto a ring.
0: Yeah, was that a second? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just like a time ring and stuff, or it could have been part of another time. I know what you mean, but I can't. I can't tell you exactly yeah. what it is. it's. Yeah, it's it's the Tardis has always been his main means okay. of transport. So I mean the, the, his original the original look of the Tardis, uh, and this is story wise, you know, he's before. Before it goes out of the factory, so to speak, or out of the where they're kept, um, they're just kind of like metal flames. They they look like a cheap aluminium wardrobe or a shower cubicle, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you when they take it from the the, the bay, then of course it takes on its its uh, natural ability to blend in with any kind of. Uh, environment. In fact, the sixth Doctor fixed the Chameleon Circuit for a while, um, but never really liked what he was coming up with. He was he was dematerializing looking like a grand piano at one point, and <laughs> and it, it kind of you lose that Doctor Who thing. So it's kind of mentioned now that the Doctor's fallen in love with the Blue Box and could fix it if he wanted to, but never does.
1: Yeah, that's it's a story device from economy, but it's become sort of part of the charm of the show.
0: It's iconic. I mean, uh, the Metropolitan Police uh, tried to sue the BBC uh, back in the mid-80s for infringement of copyright on the the, the actual police box. But uh, the judge declared that it's now uh, known as a time machine and not as a a police bit of memorabilia. So they they lost the case.
1: Mm. I'll be darned. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we hear a lot from 2005 on about the time war and that all the time lords are dead and supposedly all the daleks were but we know that's not true yeah so, and they,
0: they've been all the time lords
1: yeah <laughs> so but has it ever been explained what what is the time war and um What transpired?
0: Um, No, not really. It's never really been fully explained. And I think there's a quite sweet thing about that. I was always really quite angered when uh, Russell T Davies wrote that all the Time Lords were dead. And I think he, not that he said this, but judging by the fact they brought the Master back, I think they regretted that decision because... um, you know, you know there, there are so many classic stories with other Time Lords. Um, but the, the Time, the time Lord really does come from what you mentioned earlier on uh, with Genesis of the Daleks back in 75 when the the Time Lord sent the Doctor back to avert the creation or ensure that they evolve into less aggressive creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you got, you know, the, as you were saying, the iconic moment where, where the Doctor's holding the two wires and he can wipe them out. And he doesn't because the way he explains it is the fact that so many other races have come together in harmony to fight against the daleks well you can see what he's unabated. about but also if they weren't there they wouldn't have been <laughs> in the having a vow anyway but um there's another episode called remembrance of the daleks in 88 sylvester mccoy's doctor who tricked uh, davros into destroying their home homeworld, world scarrow um, of course destroying the whole, whole world he does ask you the question who's the, who's the more responsible for genocide because it's mentioned in the new series that um the Doctor went back and ended up destroying all the Daleks and his own race, possibly because of Vassalon, who was the person in charge of the the Time Lords, did the ultimate sanction, which is basically to end time itself. Mm. Um, So if you're going to end time, I mean, that's a fairly drastic thing to do, and so the Doctor took it upon himself to destroy both sides. Um, Whether he truly did destroy the Time Lord, I doubt. I think that's just him feeling guilty, survivor's guilt, more than anything. I think it's a pure case of um, survivor's guilt. It's an interesting thing, the Time Lord. They say it's gone back since the fourth Doctor's time, Mm. So you've got all that, all those years. And bear in mind, we, we, we're talking about a doctor who'd been 50 years. Obviously, the doctor's 12, you know, uh, 1,200, now classed as 1,200 years old. I always maintain he's a hell of a lot older than that. So in his time, the time law could have been going on for thousands of years. But, it, we, we, you know, it's, a, it's an ideal thing for them to do because it's obviously the doctor regenerated during the time war uh, from eight or nine and there has been a photograph I think Paul McGann did it as a little bit of an in-joke but also to do with Big Finish in which he's wearing a kit uh, very similar to the Ninth Doctor's ah. um, so he's got like a long leather jacket on with an army bag on so you know it would be, it's, a, it's a thing to go to and hey who knows the 50th anniversary might, might uh, delve into it
1: yeah I mean and we'll leave it to Timothy Dalton to stop time anyway I mean,
0: this day was the day upon which the whole
1: of creation would change forever. This was the day the Time Lords returned for Gallifrey, for For victory, for Victory. victory,
0: for the end of time itself, for the end of time itself. Well, Timothy Dalton stopped time with a lot of spit. I seem to remember that I've never, I've never seen a load of water coming out of a man's mouth in, in, in anger. You know, with his big floppy hand or you know his eyes. <laughs> it. I mean, his, his big hand of power. His eyes, Timothy Dalton is one of the best Bonds as well. And, uh, I, and I, yeah. I
1: love his two Bond movies. I, I think they're underrated
0: they are fantastic it's how Bond was you know really quite hard and angry it's just a shame that well I have to carefully what I say I mean it was at the, the height of the AIDS uh, not epidemic but the AIDS awareness campaign yeah. uh, therefore you couldn't really have an iconic uh, image of somebody basically shagging around as much as he did uh, it would kill the moment if just as he's going to get on with it he suddenly stops and pulls out a packet of Jurex you know because you <laughs> see the filmmakers idea I suppose, I suppose <laughs> on that but uh, you know when you, when you just turn around and say that, oh it was terrible he didn't sleep with enough Women, I, I think you're being a bit shallow on that aspect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, i never thought of that, but I, I do like those. And I, I thought it was cool to see him show up in Doctor Who, but he did have that big gauntlet.
0: <laughs> yeah, his big floppy hand. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh boy! But that—that was—that was the only time, I guess, on the actual show that they've actually kind of shown any little bit of whatever they call that end of the time war. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, that was at the end of time, um, which is which is pretty good. Which it has the master in it again, and
0: it has some good it has some good moments in it. Um, but uh, I think the whole finale bit is a bit bit overdone.
1: It'll, it's certainly very melodramatic. I never saw anybody take so long to die.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like Frodo, wasn't it? Oh, yep. Let's get yeah. on the damn boat, Frodo. <laughs> Stop faffing around! <laughs> yeah, you know.
1: No, hold on. I gotta go visit somebody else. Hold on, I'm not quite dead yet.
0: You never saw any of the other doctors doing that, and I think that was just the, the annoying thing to me. That was just a bit of a, an ego thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't have. I don't, I'm not a, a, a Russell T Davies hater by any means. I think it's fantastic what he did with Doctor Who, but I think that was a little bit more of, oh, look who I look what I created, and you know, and I'm going to say goodbye to all the all my fantastic characters that I brought back. You know, and yeah, uh, yeah it was a bit, um, yeah, a bit annoying. I
1: don't want to go. It does get the ladies uh, tearing up, though. So, going on with the next question. In the very, very first series, the Doctor is called Grandfather.
0: Why? Uh, Okay, I mean, this is another one of those things that hasn't really been talked about an awful lot in the series uh, apart from uh, when uh, probably the fifth doctor episode uh, the five doctors when susan comes back it's implied that susan is indeed uh, his granddaughter uh, and thus so he does have a family now if, if you go by books um, which is always quite dangerous to do this opens up a whole weird world uh, especially in a book called Lungbarrow, which implies that all the families are weaved together in some kind of strange way but um Susan's hardly ever talked about, but she's implied during the tenth doctor's last moment. You know that legendary last moments that we, you know, we were talking about earlier on, <laughs> when he sees his mother, and I think he's talking to Bernard Cribbins at one point. And he does mention family, uh, and now of course, we are talking about time here. So there's nothing stopping River Song having a baby, and that could be Susan's mother in the past. You uh-huh. know? see that's one thing it could be another 50th anniversary kind of thing um yeah i mean it it has been mentioned a few times the doctor does have a family yeah so we just and and look how old as you say the first doctor actually is i think i think hartner was 55 during his time but he was made to look a little bit older um so and this is of course we're talking about human years yeah that's not to say the doctor could be well he was at least uh four hundred years old by the time he regenerated. The reason why I say that is because there's an episode of the Second Doctor, a <laughs> publicity still, where you see Patrick Train holding a five hundred year old diary. So by the second doctor's at least five hundred years old. So he's had enough time to have a family and bring him up. Okay. Whether she's a pure Gallifreyan or not. I'm not too sure. I like to think she is. But, of course, she was left on Earth to start her own life um, because the doctor was on the run from Gallifrey at that time. And I'll just bring this up. Excuse me. It's the reason why I I, I I got annoyed with the ninth doctor and Tame Tars when they said they are only 900 years old. Well, uh, if he was 500 during the second round, that means he's had 400 years or 400 and wasted them in the space of six generations or something. Seven, you know, it's right. a long time to just, you know, and 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 he mentions he's now 1,200 years. That's more like it. He has to have a few skips going on there. Um, that was a bad move, I think. I know, but yeah, it is implied that Susan is his uh, true granddaughter and that he does have a family. Oh.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that if that's his mother in the end of time, then you know, it's uh, it's certainly, it's certainly somebody. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But I didn't. They weren't. I like that they leave things sort of, you know, unsaid sometimes, and that's fine.
0: Yeah, because it, there's some there's stuff to build on at the end of the day. You don't you don't want to close everything off, you know. It's a, it's a bit like when. Uh, in Burton's Batman where they killed the Joker, you know, you think, what a stupid thing to do, it's, yeah. it's the most iconic probably even more iconic than the Batman at the end of the day, you know, you, you'd love seeing the Joker, when he's the true Joker uh, I know that's the thing I think I know <laughs> I as one was but uh you know you don't kill it off do you you, don't, you just don't do that and that's like i was saying earlier on about killing all the time lords off uh, it's just mm, you know one thing to do because you've lost a lot of opportunities of meeting the, you know the meddling monk which is another time lord or you know um uh the rani and all that kind of stuff it's a shame
1: yeah it is it is weird when they uh any in a, in a thing like that where you kill somebody kill a villain just to get rid of them because you can't you know what it is they just can't come up with an ending
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's it, know it ended up.
1: you know well the Joker's caused all these problems and he's blown up half the city but you know they don't want to end it with him just getting put in handcuffs so they want something that's got a little bit more impact to it so
0: but yeah, I mean it's just a rubbish thing to do, especially like with the Burn Batman, where it's like, oh, well, we better just have him die because we can't come up with anything else. Well, I'm not being funny. You had him shoot the Batwing down with a gun with <laughs> an oversized, large barrel on it, which wouldn't work in, in the first place. <laughs> it's like, really?
1: And then you know we saw that killing of the villains got them. By the time they got to the last one in that series, they're you know they had a poison ivy and Bane. And uh, Mister Freeze, and it was
0: just a- and uh, yeah, and nipples and bat butt cheeks. Right. Well,
1: listen, that that the villains were the least
0: of the, that movie's problems. So it was it was the nipples and the bat butt cheeks, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> it was just the, the whole. Uh, if you're a Batman fan like I am, since I'm a kid, those that movie to me is like watching a puppy get stomped to death.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Look at us laughing at like, poor puppies. Oh
1: and I love puppies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um what are considered to be the top storylines of Doctor Who throughout the years?
0: Okay. I, again another another difficult one to say because uh, whenever you go onto sites to put in the top top Doctor Who episodes it's, it's kind of like you get different different ones coming up. So I, I'm going to put in i think I, I had a look to see what were my ones and also uh just picked out the top ones that seemed to match in all these polls you know so the ones that repeated a little bit um Adams penned the city of death actually i've this is my first ever doctor who episode i remember what well, kind of remember seeing on tv when i first started watching it um it's always up there in in the top list of doctor who episodes to watch uh, it's a fourth doctor episode uh and he's it is really good, you know. Uh, Genesis of Daleks, what we talked about uh, earlier on, yep. which is why I said to you it's a must-watch. Um, it's, it's a cracker. It really is a cracker. And also some great companions in there as well. Uh, Harry's in there as well. I always liked Harry Sullivan and, and of course, Sarah-Jane. Uh, Caves of Angersani, that's actually my favourite episode, uh, but it's been well-known in classic Who that some of the Fifth Doctor stories really were quite badly wrote. Uh, money wasn't freely available. But towards the end of Davidson's tenure as the Doctor, the stories were really good. I mean, they were meaty stories. And it's a shame that Caves of Angersani, it's actually his last uh, last episode. is the one in which he regenerates. And he always did say that if those were the quality of the stories, Davidson would have stayed on. So, I mean, that's, a, that's always in the list of, of, uh, of good episodes. Perry, I see Professor Jackage's newest stuff. Good old Jackage.
1: Jackage, you got the bat's milk?
0: Contains an antivessicant, I imagine. Interesting. Where is it? What?
1: The bat's milk.
0: Finished. Only enough for you. There must be something I can do. Tell me. Too late, Perry. You're going soon. It's time to say goodbye. Don't give up. You can't leave me now.
1: I might regenerate. I don't know.
0: Um, unearthly child, the uh, first episode and the pilot. There's two versions of that. Um, if you ever get a chance to see them, it's quite interesting to see the first William Hartner one. It's always in the top list of stories to watch because it's the first one. You know, it starts it all off, and it is a really good story, uh, well worth watching. Um, Tomb of the Cybermen, the second Doctor story. This is when the Cybermen were terrifying. Um, again, unfortunately, a lot of these. Like, I think Tomb of the Cybermen. I don't think you can find it. I don't think you can get it. But he also did Moonbase. You can see clips of this on YouTube. There is a DVD available called Lost in Time, where all the remaining episodes of these uh, Doctor Who stories are. And you go and watch the early Cybermen stories. They are so frightening. You've got, like, the the guy who's just got, like, his almost silver sock over his face, but his mouth's constantly open. And there's no life in the eyes. There's, There's just... It's just terrifying. I mean, they're coming out of the cyber war. Oh, it's it's it really is quite scary. And it's proper scary as well. I think if you was just show it to one of your kids and bear minds, black and white, I always have this kind of thing that things in black and white help your imagination take over because you're putting the colour in there, you know. And if you've got this bloke whose chin just drops down and this monotone metal voice comes out, oh it's it's just, just pure brilliance. So yeah, Tomb of the Cybermen are one to watch. Uh Pertwee? Uh, we'll go from spearhead from space. It's the first uh, first episode to feature the <laughs> the the John Purry, who, He's almost like the James Bond of, of Doctor Who. He's always jumping about. And he has the most weird facial expressions, <laughs> John Furley does, you know. And and there's one bit where he's in a wheelchair going down this path. And his comical facial expressions are just fantastic. But taking that away, it's a really good episode. It's really worth watching. Uh, a personal favorite for mine is the Sea Devils. Some people poo-poo the Sea Devils. Personally, I think it's great. Fantastic monsters and a bloody awesome soundtrack. It's really backing that synthesized... Quite scary kind of you know, These monsters coming out of the sea, uh, bog-eyed stuff. Yeah, a slight like bog-eyed monster, but it's always worth it. <laughs> um, Caves of Androsani, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, there's something about that episode. I'm talking about classic Who. I'm not going to talk about best episodes of New Who because that's been done to death. But I'm going to leave. I'm going back to Caves of Androsani because I think not only does Peter Davison really act his chops off in this episode. The main villain in it. There's a there's a heartbreaking story to him. And you do feel for him. Uh Nicola Bryan who plays Perry in there, um, you know, she's she does really well as well. Ironically playing American and she's English and yet loads of people thought she was American. A bit bit weird. But also his regeneration's really good. So that's that's just a little list of what I think are uh, a really top line uh, episodes of Doctor. I mean Douglas Adams has penned a few, and also Sharda, which was was uh, cancelled halfway through because of the writers' strike. He adds a bit of humor, like you mentioned earlier on. Douglas Adams there's a bit of humor in there, and you do hear, you know, see it in his stories that he's wrote. Uh yeah yeah those are a uh, few of the classic ones to see Kate. I wrote all those down. <laughs> <laughs> well I think I think I did uh, I think there is a list of classic who on under Sci-Fi forum that I did a long time ago. I never finished it actually I should really finish that.
1: The third doc- I have I've seen the um three doctors.
0: Yeah, you know what the three the three doctors I, I yeah you know what it 's worth watching because the fact it 's exactly what it says on the tin yeah. you get you get Patrick tray and you get John Poe and also you get a brief cameo from William Hartnell unfortunately, too ill to be in the studio with them at a the time of recording so all of these materials done from a different place on a TV screen. And he does look old. And in fact, he passed away. I don't think he ever got to see the episode. He did pass away shortly before that was shown. It's not a great story, but who cares? No. It's, it's, it's it's John Pertwee Patrick Trouton together. And the banter between the two of them is really good. In fact, they, they had a bit of a tete-a-tete tete on set because um, Trouton was very much uh, like, you know, he liked to act his way and uh, John Pertwee liked to do it his way. I, I can't remember which was which, but one of them liked to... Go off tangent a little bit, alter the script as they're going along and try to like. To, I think he was trying a lot like to be straight down the line, uh, but you know, they turn up again in the five doctors. Okay, let's 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 bring the five doctors into it as well, then because. You know, it's a multi-doctor episode unfortunately of course William Hartnell had passed away so they brought in an actor called Richard Hernda uh, to take over his uh, take over the role Herndle does a pretty good job you know um it's nice to see him he does mimic the first doctor I can't ta- you know you, but you can't knock that you can't moan it he does a good job um all the others are, are on form um Tom Baker refused to do it he now regrets that actually mm. uh, so uh, they had they they used his scenes from the canned episode of Douglas Adams' Shada. And used a wax dummy arm in all the promotional skills. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Five Doctors is, is always pretty good. Pertwee's uh, The Demons. I uh, just got it on DVD. It's, I haven't seen that in. Yeah, I saw it on video cassette years and years ago. So, and I haven't taken out the the uh, film at the moment. So, I have to guess what I'm doing later on. Uh, uh, that's a, a pretty good episode as well.
1: I did like that little bit in the third, in the Three Doctors where. Uh, the, he says, I've been replaced by a dandy and a, buf- a clown or a buffoon person. I would like to see, a, like I said, I would like to see a, a newer sort of uh, version of that. And next it, year, would a 50th anniversary, perfect time. Probably. Well so, I think we know this, but I'm going to ask anyway. How long have you been a Doctor Who fan? And we already found out who your favorite doctor is. It's the fifth doctor.
0: It but, is a fifth doctor, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> How old am I? Thirty-nine. I was th- uh, thirty-three years. Wow. I've been a Doctor Who. Nineteen seventy-nine was when I I first remember putting it on. Uh, Mom and Dad always used to have it on, and as I say, City of Death is something that rings a bell. Can't can't say that's true, you know, fully true. But it was. I know it was nineteen seventy-nine, um, and that's so that's when I first really got into into Doctor Who. And uh, you know, my favourite Doctor is Davidson, followed by Truitt Matt Smith, Baker, I think, uh, but I, I stayed with it all the way up to its cancellation. Uh, I must admit, I well, it wasn't called; it wasn't actually cancelled. It was just put on hiatus, which is the reason why it still classed as the longest-running uh, science fiction program. Yeah. Uh, even Sylvester McCoy, who had gone off, uh, the, the, hadn't really fell out, you know, fell out of love with Doctor Who. But I was getting increasingly annoyed by Ace, who was calling him the Professor and not the Doctor, and it was little things like that and having what we sometimes call as cashing in on the guest by having well-known celebrities turn up as a guest and I think people were almost accusing Mark Williams of you know oh look Mark Williams that's a bit of you know promotional advertising there to get Dr Well, no he's just a very good actor and that's why we had him in but in the late 80s you were having comedians such as Halen and Pace and Ken Dodd who are very seedly celebrities you know for a start being thrown in Nicholas Parsons popping up here and there and it kind of like ruined it for me I kind of fell out of love with it and which is a shame because I've gone back and watched and Sylvester McCoy is a really good doctor like Colin Baker a really good doctor but not really given the chance and was also crapped upon really highly by the BBC hence the reason why he didn't do a, a regeneration scene huh. a regeneration scene of um the sixth doctor turning into the seventh doctor he's actually the seventh doctor with a blonde wig on um so that just sums it up really <laughs> but you know a long time to be a fan of something, um, but I, I mean, I, I'm slowly collecting all the classic series on DVD. Uh, I mean, there's a hell of a lot, you know, 34 series in total. Uh, <laughs> wow. Quite, quite a long thing to collect. But yeah, I, I still I still get really excited when I I, I see a fifth episode, uh, a fifth Doctor episode. And I think the reason why the fifth Doctor was the same point to me was because I was a huge fan of All Creatures Great and Small. And uh, Still am. Uh, I, I've bought the box set and I'm loving watching it. And of course, my favourite character in all Creature for small was Tristan Farnham, played by Peter Davidson. So, you know, I was intelligent enough even at six to know that this is a science fiction programme; it's not real. And the fact that Tristan Farnham was now the Doctor to me was heaven. You know, it was it was in my best, my favourite TV programme, my favourite character, all in one ball. Um, but yeah, even now, I mean, that's why I love Time Crash so much. A little, a little bit more of an angrier thief Doctor. I must admit, it was no—I don't remember him being that angry. But I think that's because Peter Davidson uh, smoked too much and uh, enjoyed the occasional brandy to ruin his voice. I think.
1: Isn't that interesting, though, that David Tennant married his daughter? And... Yeah,
0: actually, actually from the Doctor's Daughter episode as well. So yeah. there's something a little bit weird. Now. Yeah, it is a little bit weird, but uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's good to see that Davidson's on scene, so to speak. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know it's weird when you reflect. Like I say, I've been a, when I realize that I've been a Star Wars fan since I was uh, since seventy, well seventy eight, I guess, because I didn't see it in the theaters till then. And that's mm. what is that? That's thirty four years. I was you know four almost when yeah. I saw Star Wars. So it is a long time to be a fan of anything.
0: Yeah, that must be heartbreaking though with the with the prequels. But let's not get into hey, that. Hey,
1: come on, we're not here to talk about that <laughs> stuff.
0: Oh, uh, yay! You can come on Waffle on when we do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I wish I could just wish my feelings away
0: about the prequels. <laughs> Never going to happen. There's too many people out there who love them. Yeah,
1: as, as, as a, a little bit of great dialogue from Star Wars Episode 2, I wish I could just wish my feelings away. I mean, listen, get a, <laughs> get a thesaurus for crying out loud when you're writing these scripts. <laughs> um okay so let's go to the 10th question and we have 11 in honor of the 11th doctor
0: but oh, i'll uh, see what you did there yes <laughs> uh,
1: so are there any notable actors who were considered to play the doctor but turned it down
0: okay here we go this is off my list here uh, jeffrey bolden uh, was uh, offered the role as the first doctor uh, michael horden very well known uh, theatrical actor and, and film actor was offered the role for the second one uh, ron moody uh, most probably well known for his portrayal of uh, Feigen in the Oliver uh, in the Oliver film. Yeah. Uh, he was asked to do the third. Uh, some well known names here: uh, Bernard Crubin's. A lot of people know him now from being in the 10th Doctor episode, was offered the role in the 4th, alongside Fulton McKay. Fulton McKay was in a TV series called Porridge, playing uh, Mr. McKay, the prison warden. And uh, Jim Dale, uh, I know in America he's most well-known for being the voice of the Harry Potter books, uh, and also uh, being in Barnum, and also being a well-known West End actor. He was uh, put up for the role of the 4th. Richard Griffith, uh, I know him mainly for being... uh, Camp Uncle Monty in Whiffenail and I. Uh, other people probably known for being in the Harry Potter films. Maybe he's camping as well. Who knows? Uh, he's the fifth, uh, sixth, uh, sixth. No one for six or seven. Uh, again, it was starting to, starting to be a little bit rubbish then. Not many people wanted to go for it. Um, but for the eighth Doctor, Rowan Atkinson was considered alongside Eric Idle and Robert Lindsay. Uh, all uh, all turned it down. And ninth, interesting one for this one. Hugh Grant was considered the role of the Knife Doctor instead of Christopher Eccleston. Wow. Hugh Grant actually turned the role down, which he now regrets. The funny thing is, is that Hugh Grant was actually in a comic relief spoof called... Uh for, What was it called? Fear of... Was it The Hand of Fear? I've What's seen
1: it that, yeah. yeah. And it's-
0: and Rowan Atkinson's in it as well, and uh, Gen- Jonathan Price plays the Master, I actually quite liked. Uh, Richard D. Grant played the Doctor. Well, of course, Richard E. Grant's played the Doctor anyway because he was uh, the ninth Doctor in the internet series on the BBC website, which was Sharda. So two actors there being offered the role uh, and turning well one turning it down, one one accepting. Uh, Richard D. Grant will be in the Christmas special, so really, i looking forward to that. I must admit, I do like I'm a big fan of Richard E. Grant. Uh, met him once. Oh, really. Uh, yeah, sat next to him. He was uh, promoting his book by design. Strange thing about that, I only seem to remember he he was wearing a snakeskin belt. Um, that's not to say I was constantly looking at his groin. Don't want anyone getting the wrong idea. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but he was a charming, real nice guy. Re- really had a lot of time for you. And uh, I always thought he would have made a really good doctor. You know, yeah. I really yeah. I know
1: yeah. mostly from um, Dracula, um,
0: Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula, oh.
1: <laughs> and um, he was in a movie called La Story. yeah
0: the steve martin wrote one with his wife yeah 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 that that was the one that uh he did shortly after that wonderful film hudson hawk
1: (laughs) you know my my wife was actually uh, bruce willis was suing uh, suing itunes about music or something and i thought yeah and she pulled up a thing of him singing and it was from hudson hawk where they're robbing the place and they're singing uh you know whatever that song would you like to sit on yeah, start, yeah. yeah.
0: do you want to, uh, there's a i have a guilty confession tonight now which i'll make here on the internet and uh, probably lose a load of listeners on waffle and also probably the forum friends uh i was a huge fan of bruce willis's album return of bruno back in 1988 <laughs> and do own the vinyl copy i, I still maintain under the boardwalk it uh, was a, a greater uh, song done by him a lot of people probably will We'll, we'll poo poo that along with a Secret Agent Man, which he did a cover of. Um, yeah, I, I still quite like it. I was a huge Moonlighting fan, you see. So oh. it's kind of I liked his cheeky receding hairline charm. It was good. <laughs> now, of course, he's just a bald ass. Yeah,
1: But yeah. And if you and if you ask Kevin
0: Smith, he's a nightmare to work with. But I should think so. But uh, I think Kevin Smith needs to sort himself out a little <laughs> bit as well. That's uh, not that's not uh, you know throw to him. but I can imagine him being a bit of a yeah bit of a pain on set and i've not seen cop out actually so i don't i don't quite know <laughs> I, I got to the point with kevin smith where i was really thinking you are an ace director and clarks and clarks too he's fantastic i love clarks um but uh, why can't you go back and make that instead yeah. of jersey girl
1: yeah jersey girl uh not so good and
0: uh oh and that what's it some so-and-so make a porno or something right. I, I mean as soon as you put that in a title you're gonna lose a lot of people going to the cinema aren't you
1: yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I certainly enjoyed Clerks. Uh, I was To me, at that time, I said, hey, look, it's me. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who, who else stands around at work and talks about the minutia of Star Wars all day? I, like it's a real thing. I do that every day at work.
0: Yeah, but, and that's uh, what Dogma worked as well. I thought Dogma had the same kind of feel to it as well with the conversation of pieces and, yeah. and, you know, also the Jay and Silent Bob stuff. But, uh, yeah, Bruce Willis, I can imagine it being a bit of a nightmare.
1: Yeah, well, that's what he says. But, you know, there's two sides to every story.
0: Yeah, he won't be in Doctor Who. No, absolutely.
1: <laughs> All I remember of Bruce Willis singing is the uh, – he did, I think, uh, Seagram's uh, alcohol commercials where he sang. And, yeah. yeah. And Moonlighting is a great show. Moonlighting is awesome.
0: And the first time – There's a Twilight Zone uh, episode called Shatterday. Uh, which was the first time I ever saw Bruce Willis in something. I think it was before he did Moonlighting. It's got a bit of hair in there, so it must have been. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great science, sci-fi episode. It's a brilliant episode. He, he accidentally phones his own flat from or his own apartment from the bar, and himself, he, himself picks up the phone on the other end. And it's the better version of himself taking over his old self. It's a great episode.
1: Yeah, and he's got a cool-looking sci- sci-fi movie coming out called Looper. That looks pretty good. I don't know how around Bruce Willis from Doctor Who. It's about as far away as you get. <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, if they did that dreaded film, he might suddenly pop up and start rewriting the script. Oh, I, I know. I heard
1: the rumor that they wanted Johnny Depp to play the Doctor. Listen, oh, yeah. I love I love movies, and I, I love American movies. We make some really good movies. I mean, mm-hmm. we invented it for crying out loud as far as Hollywood and big-time, yeah. big-budget movies, but I don't want to see an American Doctor Who movie. I, I think that's part of the reason that I, I like it and part of the reason that it's different for Lot of people over here is that it is an English show, mm-hmm. um, almost exclusively, you know. And you know, let's you know, you but you guys are lousying up all our superheroes, you know what I mean? You guys have got Superman now, and Batman, and Spider Man. It's like, you know, come on, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, we have, haven't we? Well, yeah, Spider Man, of course, we've not seen that, I don't know, but I'm very much looking forward to uh. Uh, Carver as, as, uh, as Superman but you know that guy had a, had a, a bit of a reputation of being the most unluckiest man in Hollywood he was uh, he just missed out on the role of I think Wolverine he just missed out the role of Batman he just missed out on the role of something else and suddenly he got Superman yeah give the guy a break I think his oh, time
1: has come. Superman is my favorite uh, superhero I, I'm certainly looking mm. very much forward to the new movie I think it, from what I can tell it's going to have cool tone hopefully it's going to be a little bit more action and it won't be super stalker uh, x-ray visions lois lane in her house anymore
0: oh sickening that was uh, mm-hmm. i actually i actually did re-watch superman returns uh the other week because um, I, I thought i'd give it a go I, I came out this the cinema angry as hell and uh it's not actually that bad it's ah. just some i think he's i think brandon ralph is actually very good it's just my my biggest thing was the fact that his outfit looks too uh rubbish and the s was too small you know i'm saying i'm old school i like a big s on there and he's a he's a man who can could lift a planet at the end of the day he needs to look a bit big
1: (laughs) yeah i i don't i don't think he was bad i don't i didn't like the costume i think that the story it was one of those weird things where they're trying to pay homage to the old ones but they want to have something new at the same time and it does it all kind of becomes sort of a mix of brown, you know what I mean? Like you don't really. I think that the new, uh, hopefully, they're going to have. It's just going to be its own thing. It's going to be tough not to have the classic John Williams music in it.
0: I was just about to ask you about that. I think, you know, as much as I would love to hear the John Williams theme, I think you can't have it really. No. You've got to, you've got to move on a little bit like that. Maybe. Excuse me. Maybe if you had uh, a little bit of a bar in part of the theme tune somewhere along the line, just a little bit of it. I like what they used to do with the early James Bond films where you'd always get the dun, 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 that kind of thing. And maybe if they had that in somewhere along the line or a little bit in the middle of the film. I don't think you could have it as the main bit, though, because no. something... People go, oh, look, Christopher Reeve, which is what you always think. You know? yeah.
1: uh, I mean, there, I don't know if there's going to be a Superman who ever surpasses Christopher Reeve for me. It's the reason that I am a Superman fan because mm-hmm. that first movie is so uh, iconic, and he's he is Superman. There's nobody else to me. Uh, there's been yeah. a bunch of them since, but there's nobody. Still, when I look at those first two movies, <laughs> only the first two,
0: <laughs> I watch those
1: multiple times. That's certainly that is Superman to me. But now we're on Superman again. You are a master of waffling on, and I seem to have uh, caught your little (laughs) virus. Um, (laughs) So we'll we'll, we'll do the last question, the 11th question, which is, how do you feel being a long-term Whovian, which is a term, I think. I don't know how long-term that term is, but I've seen it all over the Internet. uh, Now that Doctor Who is a massive worldwide hit.
0: Oh well, obviously I'm over the moon with it. I mean, I, I I I think it's it's great that Doctor Who now is possibly well, it is the most popular it's ever been. There's no there's no question about it. And like anything in life, um, it's like if you're in a band, you know, you know you've made it when you broke America, and. Doctor Who seriously has broke America. It's it's broke America through Matt Smith, it should be noted. Um, The the ratings are extraordinarily high uh, for a BBC programme. I think it's not not almost as close as Downton, which uh, says a lot at the end of the day. Um, I think it's brilliant. I really do. I have my issues with New Who fans, and I've got to be honest. I, I mean, when you send me the questions, I did write on here, be honest, and that's I get so annoyed online. In fact, I've, I've left several forums <laughs> and I've left several um, group pages on Facebook who when talking about Doctor Who, it's as if only three actors have played Doctor Who and it's only Eccleston, Tennant and, and Smith. And it annoys me so much when people go, who's the best doctor? And you get page after page after page of Tennant, Tennant, Tennant. And someone say, Tom Baker, who's he? Oh. Uh, oh <laughs> tenant was dreamy tenant was it's like oh right yeah okay so that's your basis of who the best doctor is and it angers me to the point of of, of real serious frustration but i can only uh, you know put that down to what it was like when star trek the next generation came out and everyone was saying oh this is fantastic look at star trek this is what Star, you know this is this is star trek and you'd get people who from From the '60s and who watched TOS on V ones before uh, '87, where they'd be saying, "Actually, no, Star Trek came in 1966. No, 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 it's not. It's jean claude Picard. It's it's Riker and his cool beard. He (laughs) was crap when he didn't have a beard. You know, yeah, he was. And Worf was 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 a bit girly before he grew his hair. uh, And all and Troy didn't get sexy until she got a you know all this kind of stuff. But it's it's and I can see why TOS fans got so angered and then also possibly a bit upset by it all because it's almost like people are forgetting that no without original trek or without original who there would not be these tv series absolutely and i i, I do i do get and as I, say, I do get annoyed by it and but i have to round myself in a little bit and i, I joke I, I jokingly have rants a lot of the time right? sometimes i do it for effect and and i wind kenny up a little bit on, on uh when we do our thing you know but all in all, you know, I think it's fantastic. There's new fans out there, and I think it's it's, it's, it's even. I don't particularly give a damn about what pe what uh, people aged between I don't know 15 and 25 think. If I'm honest, I don't. I, honestly, I don't. I've got to be honest. I couldn't care less. What I do care about is the teenagers, the, the people under fifteen, the fourteen-year-olds and under, from five onwards, because they are the people that the show is aimed for. What we said at the beginning of this podcast, right. and like when you say that you're, you know your kid gets scared and, and he runs off and he's oh they're coming, this is so important because these are the ones who are going to grow up with Doctor Who and these are the ones who are going to carry on for the future. Um, I mean, I, you know, I say I don't care what people think. I'm, I am joking. I mean, but you know, I think. I think it's just, it's important that people do think to to realize that there is a lot of early doctor who are out there and it's really, you know, you really do need to go and and check it out. There's a couple of uh, friends uh, on the forum, and also, on the anomaly, uh, Sarah Gilbertson and her husband, Andrew, uh, who uh, who are absolute dedicated uh, uh, Classic Who fans. And they're, they're younger than me and you. I think, I think they're in that. I mean, forgive me, Sarah, but I'm sure you're in your 20s, I think, which I, I mean, that's 10 years. I can give or take. Um, and that, they set up their own website devoted to Classic Who. And, and I'm seeing a lot more. Uh, younger people starting to drift into classic yes sometimes the sets are really rubbish when you look at them these days but look at TOS (laughs) you know the the doors opening out of sync and the the, the wobbly set and you know when they go on the same planet uh, when the Galileo lands it's the same planet and you know but you forgive that you you look away from that and you enjoy it and you get into it there's no excuse for rubbish storylines like Spock's brain like there's no (laughs) excuse there's no excuse for some of the 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 early Doctor Who stories which are which some of them are atrocious you know um uh, but you know i have to i have to say i think it's fantastic that the the program i grew up with uh, and adored as a child of writing you know pictures of the tardis on my school desk and naughty me and 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 you know talking about having a sonic screwdriver and that is is even more popular now i think it's i think it's fantastic and i think it's i think it's fantastic that it's it's more well known now worldwide in in america and a space like australia and that where they actually had uh, a lot of the classic series, but a lot of new fans are, are really embracing it over there, and also a lot of a lot of uh, women, a lot of girl fans, uh, who are really enjoying the science fiction point of view of it and the, the actual science of it. You know, it's it's it is cool to like Doctor Who, and and it, I think it's even cooler that there's uh, mixed sexes are enjoying it. I think it's I think it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it is cool, and, I, and we're talking about. I understand your point of view. I mean, when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, even though I was only 14 or so, but I was a hardcore classic Star Trek fan. Mm. I watched the reruns crazily, um, all the movies up to that point. And when I first saw Star Trek The Next Generation, yeah, I watched that first uh, episode and I was like, okay, I won't be watching that anymore. (laughs) I I literally didn't watch the first two, mostly two and a half seasons. Mm. And then all my friends were talking about it. And I'm like, but you guys are star trek you guys are real star trek fans you're like no it's really good now so then i got into it and i'm like okay i can forgive i can forgive it it's not the it's not what i want it to be but and then i really got into it when it, the quality on that show turned up um so I, I get what you mean when when you're talking when you know there's something that the you know you're sort of hold precious and then a new a newer sort of more modern version comes out of it and then everybody's like oh this is all there is this is the best and that crap you liked back then and that's just crap
0: now yeah it's like it's like when uh when the new star trek film came out and the and the first images of the enterprise was shown and i remember looking at thinking oh that's a beautiful at least i've got the 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 shape right they got the concept and and bry uh you know i might bry on on the forums was 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 (laughs) was really quite annoyed by i think it was the nacelles or something He was really quite annoyed by but Some people might look and go, what? Come on, who cares? You know, but no, it it is important to you. If it's something you grew up with and you, and like, like why loves making his models and he's a, he's a hardcore TOS fan and you can understand why you get annoyed. I I do a little bit with the TARDIS, you know, it's like, it's, 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 it's okay. It's a blue box, but to me, it's, it's it's really important to me that these sure. blue boxes. And uh, when the, the when the American film came out, well, the the, the American stroke. Uh, I think it was Canadian actually. I should say, Canadian and British uh, version of Doctor Who came out in '96. I was looking at TARDIS thinking, what have they done? It's a bit too long and thin. You know, uh, it's a bit too much like what a, a proper police box looks like. Not my police box. You know, no one else cares, but of course <laughs> you do. But that's the passion of, of being into something, isn't it? Then yeah.
1: Though? Again, uh, my wife was making fun of me earlier because I'm uh they have a picture of the new RoboCop costume. Oh, <laughs> and um like you, I I love the original. I'm sure you love it too. Oh, it's it's yes. a, it's a classic. I think that it looks like I said to my wife, I go, "Listen. We it just doesn't look like I said the original looks like a robot. This one doesn't look like a robot." I
0: no. said,
1: and 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 the original is such an iconic thing. It's like, why in the new Star Trek movie did they just keep the the uniforms pretty much the way you remember them, you know, they updated them, the fabrics and things. But other, I mean, yeah. otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't look at that and go, that's not Star Trek. It is. It's, it's sort of part of the gig. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at it, and I'm going, am I really overreacting? Probably. But to me, it looks like a mix between the GI Joe outfits in that yeah. in that movie and Iron Man and Batman, all mixed into one kind of. Blah.
0: Yeah. You, you know what it looks like, Chris? It looks like they bought that for of dollar. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> yeah was,
1: i mean i'm sure they they probably came up with better concepts, but you know anyway, I think that i 'm now in the in the time of my life in my late thirties where the stuff that I liked and the stuff that you liked when we were uh, in our formative years is now being redone because the people that are our age are now in charge in Hollywood. And because Hollywood sometimes becomes bereft of any kind of new ideas, they go, well, well, I really liked RoboCop when I was a kid. And I, uh, you know, won't we do something with that? And then they they just come up with, and they have to update everything. And that's just how it goes. I mean, when we were kids, they were remaking things from the 80s, from the 50s and 60s. So, you know, I guess I just sort of got to, you know, I don't have yeah. to like any of this new music. I don't care. I'm done my no. my new music uh knowledge is now done. I've
0: I've shut off that valve and I Oh you you've got you've got your bridge sound effects, mate. You that's don't right. need any music. <laughs> I'll
1: just sit there with my with my with my models and my and I'll talk to Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and they'll be my friends. I don't
0: care. I don't need anybody. No, no, no. We got I got my TARDISes. Yeah. You can, you can keep your new Robocop.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know. So it is what it is, and I think we're, you know, when we get, you know, get older, you just got to accept that there's new stuff, and maybe you don't, you don't think it's great, but other people will like it, and that's fine. I'm sure some people like the new Total Recall better than the old one, and I'm sure that uh, there's, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm getting tired of remakes. I'll just say it. I'm just getting sick of remakes. Yeah. I really am tired of it. I'm tired of it.
0: I mean, from a, a, a you know, my, my other job is a writer and, and, and it's, uh, trust me, it's hard to, to get your stuff out there a lot of the time. And it's so even more frustrating when you do have original concepts and we ha- you have original ideas and you just think they're just making a, this a remake again. It's just lazy filmmaking and there's stuff that don't, it, you don't need a remake of Robocop and you don't need a remake of Total Recall. OK, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the greatest of actor, but honestly, do you care? No. It's like it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, isn't it? And it, the story is pretty good, and the effects are—I still, I still think they're pretty good. You know, when the face bulges out and all that, I like it. I think it's pretty neat. Uh, Rybo Cup, I still maintain. You watch RoboCop Cup now. The violence in that is horrific. I mean, especially if you've got the uncut version. You know, shooting his hand off, the gun in the head when he, when Weller gets shot. Beautifully yeah. played by by, uh, by by Weller as well. Yeah. And you feel every pain that he's in. And when he's he sees his wife and when when he's um, at the end, you know, and, and the guy says, you know, uh, revoked, and he gets to shoot the guy, you're cheering. Okay, the effect of the bloke falling out <laughs> of the arms. <video>. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit laughable. That's a little
1: weird. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <The> big, <laughs> yeah, it's no Alan Rickman. I mean, they they fixed it by a Baton Rickman fellow, but you know, it's still a fantastic film. And he, he looks like a robot. He looks like a cyborg walking down the street. His gun looks nice. The sound effects look great. The you know, I buy that for a Dalai routine He's he's memorable. This new one, okay, we haven't seen any any footage. I've just seen that the, the still. He yeah. looked like the Batman suit with the armor taken off and the helmet of uh, Captain America. So mm, you know.
1: You know what it looks like. Actually, the helmet's like from Tron, the Neutron movie. You know, like that. Mm. You know where the, where the. I don't know. It just it's it is what it is, and I'm sure that maybe they'll CG it up. Maybe there'll be some do some stuff in post to make it look cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, like you said, the original is is really well done. I I mean, when I got that on Blu-ray, it was like I got it for like eight bucks. So I was like bargain hello i mean like this is like one of the best movies ever i mean not everybody thinks that but i I mean you're right everything about that movie is is classic and there's there's i mean is it just because that the the special effects are not as good as as nowadays i don't think that but
0: but you know what you know in the uh oh what's the good is it a t1000 that you know the bit the the big big bulky thing with eggs that come up and you have 30 seconds to and he has all this the, people say, oh, look at the stop animation. You know what? That works better because it is jaunty. Yeah. It is quite scary the way it looks like it's not too stable on its feet. I think that adds to it. It's it's the reason why I, and I, I, I know I'm not going to go into this, but the reason why I like Lord of the Rings, uh, like all the Lord of the Rings films, okay, there's some of the CGI in the first ones a little bit dodgy now, but ultimately the rest of it is groundbreakingly fantastic. Um, Gollum still looks great, but the reason why a lot of the effects are great now is because they used miniatures. miniatures yeah. It's the reason why the prequels on Star Wars don't work very well, because none of it is there, and that's where it goes wrong. When you have stop animation, and you have a little model, and you're doing it, You've got that realism in it. It's the reason why, um, you know, Pixar and Ardenham Animation, especially Anima Animation with the Wallace and Gromit stuff, still works because you like, you know, they, they do look real. Yeah. They, you can touch them, you know. And I think that's what works with RoboCop. If they, do, hey, they might, they might still use stop uh, stop motion animation. You never know. Who, yeah. who knows? They, I, you know. Well, that's wait and see.
1: I've said this on other podcasts. Uh, I, that models to me will always. Feel more real than CG now. I know that uh, CG mm. they do really some really cool stuff with it, and I and I love the effects. I mean, but still, I don't think there's anybody that's fooled by like a ship, a spaceship, and think it's not CG now. Like when you look at them like uh, Alien and 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 the original Star Wars and mm. Star Trek back then, those were all models, and they're massive models, and and real artisans, mm. you know. Worked really hard on them and they 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 film beautifully and they look like a real thing and starship yeah, looks- and, and like Starship Troopers which um which Dave did a few weeks back yeah that had amazing model work those ships looked so cool they were like massive like twelve feet I think twelve feet long mm. I mean that's that to me still I mean when I watch Starship Troopers it's not the bugs that I think is the cool thing I think it's those ships and all the model work I think that when you can mix model work with CG as an accent, I think you get a much better result. Like you said, with the
0: with the bigotures, as they call them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings. It's, I mean, it's Dina Meyer that makes uh, uh, Star Trek Troopers for me.
1: Oh, well,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And uh, <laughs> what's the other one? Um, uh, oh, Denise Richards. Denise Richards, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some... There's some...
0: Oh, yeah, but she ruined her credibility in, in James Bond.
1: Oh, Christmas, uh, Christmas Jones. Jones.
0: <laughs> Christmas only comes, comes once, once a year, Chris. Year. <laughs>
1: hey this is a family podcast
0: um oh come on we had we dancing the other week I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> he's
1: he's owed it i mean listen seven years that's a long time man
0: yeah yeah he gets his legs out anytime
1: yeah this is fun though i'm glad i got to do this um with yes you. i'm here i've
0: had a great i've had a blast
1: yeah, especially considering our t- our time differences, we have a little uh, uh, we call it, a transmat beam or something. I don't know where we're talking <laughs> over, but um, so that was fun. That was good. I'm uh, I I hope I learned a lot. I'd learned a lot. I wrote
0: stuff down, so <laughs> I hope the good listeners have as well. Either that, or they phone uh, tomatoes at the screen and will hate me forever.
1: <laughs> right, or or me because I'm a newbie. But you know what are you going to do? Um, so I know you you have a new waffle on out.
0: About, yes, came out Sunday.
1: About and and I don't know the um the bad is it bad um bad news bad news I'm not a familiar I saw some of the clips on YouTube but Spinal Tap is one of my favorite.
0: Yeah, that's the, the reason why we talk about bad news first it's, it's meant to be bad news versus spinal type but it's not actually it's, it's because we we love both of them and uh and the reason the reason why i said to, to calvin we recorded it uh i'm going to put bad news first and he goes why it's because a lot of people won't know what bad news is but everyone knows spinal type if i put spinal type at the beginning everyone might turn off <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we, we pack it full of um Full of uh, the music from the films, so it's. uh, I hope there's a lot in there that people are going to enjoy and uh, and rock out to.
1: If I'm depressed and I watch Spinal Tap, that depression is gone. It is, it is movie uh, Prozac for me. It is just one of my favorites, and even uh, uh, I just love it. I love Nigel. I love the whole bit. And I always uh, say,
0: you Hopefully you'll enjoy the podcast. Then.
1: Yeah. And I always say, what's wrong with being sexy? You know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it wasn't a glove I were going to use. Let me tell you that.
1: <laughs> that's not the one they wanted to use. right? <laughs> and it's just black. And I mean, the DVD, if you have it, um, oh, there, yeah. there's deleted scenes, which are pretty much a whole other movie. It's amazing. Um, and uh, me and Rick Moyer actually have our uh, uh, a new podcast out that's starting... Um, Well, it'll be on already. It'll be out already when this comes out. uh, Called the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast, and we're covering the original Battlestar Galactica episode by episode. We're
0: commenting. Oh, so looking forward to this. Yeah,
1: we 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 premiered on uh, September 17th, which is the actual anniversary of the first airing of it. I think 34 years ago. So
0: it comes out out tomorrow as we're recording. It's coming out tomorrow. Right. Coming out tomorrow. So (sighs) yeah. So
1: and we had a lot of fun uh, doing the first. First three, we're looking for co-hosts to come on with us and uh, and uh, BS while we uh, talk while the episodes play. We make funny comments. I, I, I get a, and usually since we're recording it very late my time, I get a little bit uh, loopy. So it's fun. <laughs> Are you drunk? Not not no, because then I, <laughs> it would just be Rick uh, talking about the episode and, and and me mumbling on the other end. I don't hold, <laughs> <point>. but. Um, <laughs> And uh, so if you like uh, some Sci-Fi, go to the forum where we uh, always chat and go to the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. So this was good. And um, I'm looking forward to doing another one with you sometime, maybe in the near future. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. We certainly got off Doctor Who at the end there. But listen, he, he's the Waffle Master. What am I going to do?
0: <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for thanks for asking me to uh, to join you with you. All right, thanks
1: a lot.